Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar. We have with us on the line the founder of Connect. It is Mr. Arjun Bopani, and I can't wait to talk to him about Connect. Welcome. Thanks, Juliet. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So, Arjun, tell us a little bit about, or a lot of bit about, what Connect is. Sure. Um, so, I guess to understand what we do, uh, you probably need a little bit of background on the blockchain industry and about how and the, some of the some of the biggest challenges that that it faces to, to mainstream adoption. Um, Absolutely. So, for those of you who don't know, blockchain is a, uh, a new way to uh, store data in a distributed way. Um, it's uh, rather than relying on some third-party server in or, or something like AWS to, to save your data, you can you can save it in a way where um, everybody kind of owns and and uh, shares a piece of it. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting um, uh, use cases and applications of this. Um, the the biggest kind of jump forward that has happened is uh, is something called Turing complete blockchains uh, like Ethereum. Um, and and Turing complete blockchains are basically just shared computers. Um, this is a really, really cool new way to think about how to make applications on the internet, um, how to create uh, infrastructure for for pretty much everything um, that is shared by everybody. Uh, so it's it's rather than having it happen under uh, one entity like you know um, Amazon or Google or Facebook, uh, you can build infrastructure that is uh, fundamentally owned by the public. Um, now the big barrier to blockchain adoption. Uh, people have kind of seen uh, use cases of blockchain, uh, namely cryptocurrencies. Uh, the big barrier to their adoption has been the speed at which cryptocurrencies can actually be transacted. Um, and this is this is true for blockchain in general. Uh, blockchains are, are very, very slow. Um, they most can only do something like somewhere between five and 10 transactions per second. Um, and for reference, uh, uh, like a network like Visa is capable of hand- handling 60,000 transactions per second. Um, in order to move, you know, uh, uh, like a mainstream consumer application or or uh, most of the, you know, uh, consumer activity on the Internet over to blockchain-based systems, uh, you theoretically need millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of transactions per second. Um, that's the problem that we solve. Uh, we build uh, infrastructure for companies building on blockchain-based systems uh, to let them scale their tra- their applications up to theoretically infinite numbers of transactions per second. Uh, we do this using something called state channels. Uh, state channels are a way, are basically like a, uh, a game that you can kind of play uh, between two parties where instead of pushing every single transaction to the blockchain, uh, you move those, you kind of lock funds or, or your, you know, your state, quote unquote, on chain, and then you move off chain and send updates between each other um, and then just send one final batch transaction all the way at the end. Um, and the you know the the tricky part about it is doing so in a way where the the, the benefits of using a blockchain so like the the ability to minimize or or remove the need to trust uh, the person that you're transacting with the ability to um, have this kind of globalized ecosystem uh, it's it's tricky to make sure that you in, uh, 
that these scaling solutions integrate in a way where those benefits are still realized. Absolutely. So I guess what kind of products do you offer to help in this way? Sure. Um, so to begin with, one of the you know one of the easiest use cases of Spay Channels is payments, um, uh, especially kind of you know doing batched micropayments uh, down to basically you know nothing, zero point zero 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 one cents or something like that, um, instantaneously and and securely. Uh, that is what the product that we're pushing out right now, um, and we're working with a couple of companies in the space to make that happen. Uh, the use cases that that's useful for are things like streaming payments, so making payments for content, like video content that you're watching, um, micropayments for, uh, you know, uh, IoT devices. So uh, one of the companies that we're working with is, uh, is Altia Mesh, and they do, uh, they're basically like an internet of, they're like a, like a mesh network. Um, uh, they allow for people to connect to the internet without using an, IS, uh, an ISP by bouncing their connection off of other people's devices and paying mm-hmm. very very tiny amounts of money in order to do that. Um, and uh, and so that's uh, you know that's that's kind of a perfect use case for us because they're able to uh, open and transact very very tiny fractions of a cent and then close uh, state channels with with a number of different devices. Um, uh, so content, uh, IoT, and then I think the other sorts of useful places where this is, uh, where we expect to see um, this being really beneficial is things like exchange. Uh, so existing cryptocurrency exchanges uh, are either centralized, in which case they are, uh, you know, they have an order book that is handled by a an individual party. Uh, you put funds into the company, and uh, and then the company kind of makes the exchange happen, or they're decentralized where uh, the order book may or may not be hosted on chain, but the the assets that you're exchanging remain in your wallet until they're actually ready to be exchanged. Um, now, the the big kind of challenge with the with the with decentralized exchanges right now is that uh, that's limited by the throughput of the blockchain. So you kind of have to wait for those assets to be exchanged. Um, and doing it using state channels would mean you could have exchange happen almost instantaneously in the same way that it happens currently with centralized exchanges. Um, without giving up, you know, the kind of security and resilience of a decentralized exchange. Um, and then the last one that I think that at least we perceive as being useful is uh, is governance. Um, so uh, voting is something that we're expecting or voting on things uh, both within a company, within uh, within blockchain-based ecosystems, and then all the way up to, uh, you know, schools, uh, local government, things like that. We're expecting that many of those systems are going to be moved onto, onto blockchain soon. Uh, just because it's a much more efficient and uh, and fair way to do voting, um, and in order for that to happen, uh, you need to be able to batch those votes as well. So that's that's kind of another place that we see this being useful. Absolutely, and I like that you're really trying to. I'm on your website right now that you're helping to create things that are super easy to use because this is such a, a an appearingly complicated space. You know, when you talk to people about it, I think one of the number one uh, concerns or things I hear a lot for people who are not in this world is, oh, I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. And the second thing is, well, isn't that just the security? There's no security, you know. And uh, and I think that you're trying to solve both those. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the problem I think with the industry is like uh, blockchain is right now where the internet was in like 1994 or something like that. Uh, it's there really is like it. it the, you know, people keep talking about the, the internet's Netscape moment and, uh, and blockchain's Netscape moment, and I don't think that's happened yet. Um, I still think like it's there's still so much that has to solve at the infrastructure level, and I think one of the biggest problems is scaling. Um, that once it won't be until those things are fixed that you'll be able to have 
um, easy-to-use user interfaces that people can actually interact with without really needing to know anything about blockchain. Um, and, and I think the Internet is a great analogy here. Like, uh, the vast majority of people don't really understand how Internet protocols work, um, and they don't mm-hmm. need to. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need to understand how HTTP works or um, or what uh, an IP address is or, or how uh, Internet traffic is routed in order to, to use the Internet. You just need to know how to use your browser. Um, and I think that's kind of what's coming in the in the next year. I, w- I expect that you know there's a there's a bunch of different companies working on uh, user experience that we're that we're kind of in touch with, and and they're all trying to solve racing to solve that exact problem uh, where they're making it they're kind of abstracting away the challenge of blockchain, so in that way you're just able to interact with some interface that is a lot more intuitive. Absolutely, and I love that you use the internet because it's something that all of us take for granted. Now is of course I use the internet I use I use Google or I use a search engine and you know if you ask someone how it works they go well I don't know and it's the same with blockchain at the current but they want to know how it works because it is new and it's scary so they they don't they think oh I don't know how it works so I can't use it but that's not necessarily the case as you just stated yep exactly um, and the internet's not even that secure at all <laughs> so when people are worried about security uh, with you know these new technologies coming in it's a great concern. But at the same time, a lot of people are doing things through the Internet that are not secure whatsoever. And either they don't know it or they're okay with it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So the security with, with kind of decentralized ecosystems is really interesting. Um, uh, the goal behind creating blockchain-based systems is uh, censorship, censorship resistance and, and like economic freedom. Um, so the, the idea is you shouldn't be charged money to use your money. Um, you know, you shouldn't have mm-hmm. to pay money to use an ATM. You shouldn't have to pay money to use a credit card. Um, it, it should, you should be able to retain custody over your own assets if you want to. Um, and you should be able to transact them how you want to, especially in situations where uh, there's an economic downturn or something like that. Um, now, security is, is an interesting point because I think security is two-sided. Um, on the one hand, right now we take security for granted because we expect some third party to secure our assets, our money, or everything for us, um, our data. Uh, and what that creates is is something called a honeypot. Um, so this is kind of uh, this has happened a lot over the course of the past few few years. But uh, uh, you know, places that aggregate data, for instance, um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, but there was a hack that happened about a year ago. Uh, where I think a third of the U.S. population lost their social security numbers. Um, oh, Equifax. Wow. Uh, yeah. So the the Equifax hack was just a one example of where you know you you can have an one entity you know secure data to whatever extent that they want, but it's really not going to be secure because once you're storing that much information in one place, once you're storing that much value in one place, you're creating a honeypot that attracts hackers. Um, and and what that does is that that just creates one central point of failure where you know the moment that they're able to break through Equifax's security, uh, tons and tons and tons of data gets lost, um, and tons and tons of money can get lost. On the other hand, uh, in a decentralized paradigm, you are in charge of your own data, uh, and that means that there's no no sort of singular entity is controlling and monetizing the stuff that you do uh, without your permission. And and in case of a hack, a hack has to happen directly against you, not against some third party entity. Now, that does create new security risks, which is how do you make sure that independent people who may not know a lot about technology are able to stay secure? And that's that's kind of a, a whole new challenge, and that is where a lot of people kind of point out, okay, well, this stuff isn't secure. Um, you know, the security promises aren't, aren't real. 
Um, I think they are. I think it's just a, it's a different subset of problems that you're dealing with. I see. So how did you get involved in all of this? Give us a little bit of backstory about about you and and how you came to be the founder of, of this company. Sure. Um, so back in 2016, I was working on uh, another startup in the education space, uh, just interested in exploring how people learn. Uh, I was a physics major in college, and uh, I had some difficulties with you know, the traditional lecture-style form of learning, especially, and I, I really did think uh, at the time that, and, and I still do think that that's not very conducive to to learning post-graduation. Um, like adult learning is going to become very, very important as time goes on because uh, people are going to have to learn how to change fields, uh, you know, once their jobs start to be automated or things like that. Um, and, and so, you know, there needs to be an easier pathway to being able to learn new material. Um, what I found, though, was that when talking to people uh, like adult learners, when talking to schools, uh, one of the things that I found was that especially for adult learners, it wasn't that they didn't want to learn. It was that they couldn't, um, uh, you know, for, for the vast majority of people, uh, the vast majority of people are pushed into a circumstance where they're doing a job because they need the money and they need to uh, feed themselves and feed their families. And, and so they're not able to actually pursue the thing that they're passionate about. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really weird uh, because I think, from an efficiency perspective, if you are pursuing the thing that you're passionate about, then you're much more likely to succeed at, at it and then push, get more kind of productivity and value out of what you're doing. Um, this is just an opportunity that, that most, most, most people in their, in their lives don't ever get a chance to do. Um, so what you need to solve that is something, uh, is, is a universal basic income, like the ability to survive without actually doing anything, uh, without actually needing to um work. So, so being able to at least meet the bare minimum requirements of survival without needing to, to do something daily. Um, and then that allows you to pers- freeze you up to pursue things. Uh, even, even though you're living meagerly, frees you up to pursue things that you might want to pursue. Um, at the time, uh, I started doing research into how UBI could work. And I found that uh, really it's, it's more of a cost challenge than, than a, a uh, like a value allocation challenge. Um, so most people treat it as a that they, how do we fairly allocate taxes? And, and instead, I think it's just that the cost of living itself is too high. And the cost of living is too high because uh, you have a lot of ecosystems where public goods, uh, things like payments, things like um, you know being able to purchase an asset for another asset, uh, being able to invest in things, being able to um, educate yourself, you know those sorts of those sorts of activities, uh, insurance, um, all of those things cost too much because they're not actually, even though they're public resources, they're not owned by the public. Um, and that was the first kind of inclination that I had that, okay, there needs to be, a, there has to be a better way to do this where you can fairly allocate public goods uh, without needing to have some sort of centralized entity, some like either a bank or an insurance company or, you know, something like that actually make, make that happen. Um uh, that was that was at the end of 2016 is when I kind of first learned about blockchain and that really seemed like exactly what I was looking for um, and uh, and then since then the, the goal for me has always been uh, how can we make sure that this technology gets adopted faster that's that's kind of where connects came from I love how you talk about learning in that way and and a lot of times I feel like we're finally opening up and moving towards an understanding of learning that is going to benefit people in all age groups and all demographics in a different way. 
and how just decentralizing your mind is really going to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I think, I think, I mean, I think it might be a kind of a naive understanding, but I think for most people, if if you if they had the ability to, you know, if they had the ability to earn money to do the thing that they really wanted to do and and uh, survive, um, I think they would choose to do it, even if it meant you know switching careers, even if it meant switching away. And like the the biggest reason why most of my friends who are uh, you know, doing a job that they don't like, uh, are, and the, the biggest reason why they kind of stay stuck there is because of the financial risk. Um, they're, they're kind of mm-hmm. used to, to, to the salary. They're used to being in a position where they don't have to worry month to month. And it's very hard to break away from that, especially once you have a family, um, and other kind of fixed, fixed, uh, fixed costs. <laughs> 100%. So a lot of other companies I think are also striving for the same goal that you are with, uh, Connects. What do you think is really what sets you apart from those other companies? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, so there's a, I guess for context, there's a, there's a few other companies, especially in, uh, we, we primarily work with Ethereum, which is uh, the blockchain that I mentioned earlier. Um, there's a few other companies uh, in Ethereum like, that, are, that are working on scaling infrastructure as well. Um, most of them have a slightly different approach than we do. Uh, so that is, so because of that, they serve a different set of use cases. Um, primarily mm-hmm. the use cases that we serve are uh, like payments and agreements, like transactions, uh, state updates between two parties. And and that is very different from, you know, uh, like things like uh, a video game that is played by 10 people or a, you know, um, some sort of other application that, that requires a number of different people to participate. Um, so because of that, that's, uh, there's, there's kind of a distinction there. Then the other the other major difference is that we're not really focusing. Most of those entities are focused on research, um, mm-hmm. on optimization, and on like, uh, sorry, not on optimization. They're they're focused on kind of innovating new ways to to manipulate smart contracts to do these things. Um, instead of that, we're kind of focused on bringing that research to market. Um, so we work with a lot of the research teams, a lot of the other companies in the space that are that are working on this stuff. We work directly with them and figure out ways to make it so that their technology is usable now rather than in six months or in a year. Um, and I think that's kind of a big difference is that uh, we want to turn this into an engineering and optimization problem rather than uh, into a science problem where, because science problems are, you know, when you're, when you're doing a science problem, you're kind of stumbling around in the dark. Uh, when you're doing an engineering problem, you have a fixed set of constraints uh, that you're optimizing on and that you're trying to, uh, uh, trying to make work with a specific set of customers. Excellent. So any closing thoughts for our listeners and also how can they get in touch with you and start interacting with your platform? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess uh, closing thoughts, I think, uh, you know, regardless of, of the, the kind of literacy that you have with blockchain, I think it's something that is going to stick around. Um, and so it's worth knowing about. Uh, I think blockchain-based systems really have the potential to create a more fair world uh, where people are able to, you know, it, it'll lower the cost of pretty much everything um, and make public goods actually public. Uh, and I think that that is one of the most important things that will happen within the century. Um, uh, I think, so So getting in touch with us, uh, you can shoot me an email at arjun at connects.network. Um, uh, we, you know, I'm happy to answer any sort of questions about, about what we do. Um, for the most part, we deal directly with companies uh, because we're not, uh, you know, we're not actually building a consumer-facing product. We're building infrastructure. Um, so, uh, you know, 
interacting with our product is more useful if you are building something on on Ethereum yourself. Um, and if you are, and if you do think that you have a need for scaling up your transaction volume to you know uh, a lot more than than what you can do now, uh, we would love to hear from you. Fantastic, Arjun. Thank you so much for joining us today and and really sharing your knowledge of the space and and your viewpoints on things. I can tell that you're very passionate about this and you're very willing to make change and work on things that that need fixing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That was Arjun Bupanti. He is the founder at Connect. You can find them at C-O-N-N-E-X-T dot network. Thank you all so much for joining us. This has been Juliet Lamar at Future Tech Podcast. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.